0: We do thank all those of you who have served and those who are serving. I think I saw Amanda Coy here. and Her husband, new brand new husband, is away at of basic training right now. And so it's going to be a glorious Christmas, isn't it, Amanda? All I want for Christmas is you. You ought to write that song. If you have a Bible with you this morning, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we are, we've been talking for several weeks on the importance of getting a vision of God. In the midst of having a vision of doing the work of the Lord that God has given us, and if you don't know, we are building a, a, a small little building down the road here, about 56,000 square feet. Uh, thank God for that. It's coming along great. By the way, let me just throw this in for free. If you haven't done it, you're welcome to go down there after hours, contact the office. We want you to sign the steel. We have hundreds of people that have written a scripture verse on the steel frames. So we'd love for you, if you'd like to do it and you weren't able to be there to do that, see the office and we'd make that that work. But in the midst of having a vision of the work of the Lord, we think the most important thing is that we keep our eyes on Jesus. Because if we get our eyes off Jesus, we're doomed. If we think our buildings and our stuff and our accomplishments and our talents are really all that make us great, then we're crazy, right? So, (laughs) excuse me, for the past few weeks, we've been looking in the scripture and trying to get a fresh glimpse of who Jesus and who God really is. So I wanted to just begin by asking this question, how is it that we gain a clear vision of Jesus? There are theological ways of saying these things, but I'm just going to give it to you straight and simple. God has revealed himself in creation and nature. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens speak that there's a God. Romans chapter 1 says that God's invisible attributes Namely, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. God's invisible attributes are clearly perceived by creation. How powerful is God? Go stand at Niagara Falls and you'll get a tiny glimpse. How immense and how transcendent is God? Look into a telescope. And you'll get a tiny picture of the of the the nature and the character of God the scripture tells us it is through nature and creation the scripture or we, we learn through the relationship with Jesus Christ as a matter of fact the scripture says that that Christ is the express image of the invisible God he is the exact image of the Invisible God. So we in when we put faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and we get to know God and see and experience a revealed God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We learn about God through the communion with Him through Scripture and the help of the Holy Spirit. We've been doing that and I believe... That if you really want to know God, it really starts just getting into the Word of God. And, and when you read the Word of God, ask yourself this question. What does this verse tell us about God? But the Scripture is filled with beautiful and accurate and alive truths about the nature and the character of God. You want to get a vision of God and get the mud of this world out of your eye. Start reading Scripture and seeing Who God really is. It will change your perspective in a hurry. And we see and get a vision of God through the fellowship with one another as fellow believers and Christians. It's It's in our interacting and serving and loving one another that we see the character and the nature of God. I have seen it personally with my own eyes. Dozens and dozens of times as this church has come around people in times of need and crisis, and I say, oh my goodness, look at the work of God. I'm seeing, we're seeing it as a family right now. As Dave Keep, uh, my wife's brother, my sister's husband, I'll explain that later. <laughs> my wife's brother, who is in, was flown to Atlanta on Friday, but I just want you to know that the, the work of this church in coming around that family... Has said to me, "Oh my!" When I've looked at that, I've said, "Look at the power and the character and the wonderful glory of God." Meals coming in and people packing lunches and just serving and loving and doing laundry and 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 we see the character and the nature of God in fellowship and in love with God's people. So, but I've got a, but I've got an interesting question: How does An unbelieving, maybe uncaring in the sense of not concerned, lost world get a vision of God. They're not, perhaps they're not reading the Bible, so they're not seeing Him in Scripture. Perhaps they uh, don't go to church, so they don't interact with the fellowship and see the power of God amongst God's people. They don't have faith in Christ, so they don't have the Holy Spirit living in them. So they don't know the. They don't. How do they get a vision of God? You say, well, they can go to the Grand Canyon. If you look at the Grand Canyon, that is true. When you look at nature, no matter your theology, no matter your uh, whether you view the world atheistically or from a theistic perspective, no matter when you look at the world, it's hard not to see something beyond us. But but how how do they? Get a vision of God. And this is my interesting answer. Go to that slide there if you would, Tyler. What if we, the church, are called to be their vision of God? You know, the church is called the body of Christ, right? No pressure, by the way. What if... What if we, the church, are called to be the vision of God so that an unbelieving, lost world looks at the church and says, oh my goodness, I see the supernatural. I believe we are. As a matter of fact, I believe that we are the primary representation of the glory of God to this world. Now, I, I can stop right there and say, we have all walked into a church and said, not, nah, don't see Jesus in him. If you know what I mean. You've seen some, we, we, we've got, we've got a, a a real special gift in the church world sometimes to mess it up. But But I believe As a matter of fact, I'm going to to sharpen the lens a little bit. Not only are we to be the vision of God to the world as a church, but I'm going to sharpen the lens and say, our Sunday morning gatherings are to be a vision of God to the world. So that if the world would peek in through the roof this morning, they would say, wow, I see the supernatural." No pressure. Amen. Ben, no pressure on the music. No pressure, Troy. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Begin reading with me in verse number 4. Throw that, next, that, throw that map slide up, Tyler. I'm just going to do that now and get it out of the way so I can run real fast. This is Peter, four to five years before he was martyred in Rome. He's writing to a scattered group of churches, what is in today, modern-day Turkey. It's about 63, 64 AD. Nero was the emperor. Nero committed suicide in 68, but from about 64 to 68, he literally slaughtered Christians. He started a fire and, and, and blamed it on them. You know that story, perhaps. But Peter is writing to these dispersed Christians throughout modern, what is modern day Turkey, he's most likely in Rome. He says he's in Babylon, which we believe to be a a, a figurative term to refer to his being in Rome. And he, he writes to these churches and his primary purpose is to say, in the midst of living in a hostile world, I want to tell you the church how you're supposed to live. Now, we live in a world where Uh, politics are dominant. We live in a church world where everybody's fascinated with eschatology and they all want to know when the next moon is going to turn a certain color so they can figure out what day Jesus is coming back. I'm not very popular with those folks. I preached uh, out of 1 Peter a few years ago. There was a big hubbub about that and and everybody was bringing me books and wanting me to preach on it. So I preached on it. I preached eight things you need to do to prepare for the end of the world from the book of 1 Peter. And not one of them mentioned pork and beans and shotgun shells. (laughs) Peter Peter says, Peter's talking to these Christians who are standing at the end of their world. In 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed. They're within five or six years of that happening. Peter's right on the verge of being murdered for his faith. Nero's getting ready to unleash persecution on the church like the world had never seen. And this is Peter's instructions for how the church ought to reflect God's glory to a hostile world. Let's read it together, beginning in verse 4 As you come to him, Christ, as you come to Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, and then he quotes out of an Old Testament passage, Isaiah chapter 28, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, Chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. The Old Testament prophets prophesied about Jesus, who would be the cornerstone, the future, the foundation of the church. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, and these are Christians scattered across Asia Minor, what is modern-day Turkey, facing perse- persecution And he says, but for you, uh, the the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word. And as they were destined to do. In Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah said that the stone will be the stone. It's a a cornerstone upon which you can build. But it's also a stone that will will crush. And that's what Peter is referring to. The stone has become for you a thing of honor and glory. Because you're being built upon this stone. But for those who don't believe, it's a stumbling stone. It's an offense. But listen to verse 9. But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Some translations give that call that last phrase a peculiar people. How do you like that? You just leave here today and you learn that you're peculiar. It's a word that means belonging solely to God. It, it comes from a definition of of, of a, a husband and wife who work together, and one of them works overtime. To earn extra money for a specific purpose. That overtime money is peculiar to them. It belongs uniquely to them. They have set it. And he says you are. God's peculiar people. He has set you apart. So. So. He says in verse number nine, you are a chosen race for a peculiar people or people for his own possession so that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a peculiar people that belonged only to God, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received the mercy of salvation, but now you have received mercy Beloved, I urge you then, and this is where he starts talking about the world. I urge you, you are as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And that's an interesting phrase that we'll understand better in just a moment. So here is my proposition. That is, if we as a church, if we as Christians together as the church, if we get a clear vision of God, and I didn't read it, but in verse 3 he puts it this way. He said, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If we have tasted that the Lord is good, if we have had an experience with God, then we as a church can be a clear and consistent expression of God's glory to the world. So the world can look at us and see the power and the nature and the character of God. Some of you looking at me like you don't believe that. And I'm not so sure that I believe it either by looking at you. We can, if we get a glimpse of God, we can, we can be a clear and consistent expression. Our corporate gathering and our ordinary lifestyles are designed to reflect the character and nature of God to the world. So that the, the world peeks in on the church together and says, there must really be a God. And the world watches Christians walking and living and working and interacting in this world. And they say, there must really be a God. Like I said earlier, no pressure. But I believe this is how the world is supposed to see and gain a clear vision of God. Really, there are these characteristics that I, I kind of have summarized it into in this passage of Scripture are simply three characteristics. The characteristic of worship, that is a vertical deal with us and God. We are to come together and worship. It is the, is the characteristic of edification. We, that is a horizontal or an internal thing, rather, where we are we are edifying one another, and the purpose of our getting together is to edify one another. And it has, it has the idea of a horizontal connection, which is glory. And that is that whatever we do as a church, people on the outside are to look at us and give glory to God because they've seen the amazing power of God at work in our lives. And I believe these characteristics, Paul breaks it down like this. Let me give it to you real quickly. He says, you will be as a church, a vision of God to the world When we join together in holy and passionate worship to God. In verses 4 and 5, he says that you are to unify in holy and passionate worship to God. You yourselves, like living stones, he says, are being built up as a spiritual house to a holy priesthood. So that you will offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Some some folks go to church and they go to say, you know what, I want to go hear the music. I want to go hear the music. I want to go hear the speaker. But did you know that the Paul, Peter rather describes in these verses that the purpose of our gathering together on Sunday morning is so that the Holy Spirit can bind us together, one stone connected to another stone, sitting on the cornerstone, another stone, and another stone, and another stone, and we're being built up together as a holy priesthood. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to gather to offer sacrifices to the Lord in worship and praise. You know, a restaurant, if there's a restaurant, and every day you go by that restaurant, the place has got no parking, it's jammed, there's lines out the door, how many of you are going to eventually going to say, I'm trying that joint out? And you're not going to try it out because the dude standing in line is wearing bibbed overalls and you like these bibbed overalls. You're going to join it because everybody wants a piece of this. And when the world looks at the church, they ought to see men and women who are united in harmony, connected to one another, like molded together like living stones, built together, and all of us in passion and in glory, worshiping God and saying, God, you are amazing. And they go, I want to know that amazing God. Our corporate gatherings should be times of worship, distinctly marked by unity, holiness, passion, and growth. We ought to be marked by unity when we come in here on Sunday mornings. And if you're an unbeliever, an unbeliever comes to church, and many do every Sunday. But when unbelievers are in this church, they ought to realize that deacon so-and-so and elder so-and-so aren't in a fight. Somebody, That was a good place to say amen. Amen? <laughs> amen? Anybody ever been to a church where it's about the people that are there? My ideas and my opinions and your opinions, and we're conflicting because our opinions don't agree. And we're, you know what? We're not, that's not about us. You know what he said? You're a holy priesthood as a stone sitting on the chief cornerstone, which is Jesus, and you're being connected to this stone and this stone and this stone. So you can grow up to be a spiritual house. So out of that house, praise and glory will go to God. Amen. I believe when the world, I believe when the church gets back to making the focus of all that we do the one whom we serve, then the world will be able to be attracted to the one that we serve. I believe we'll be a vision of God to the world. Secondly, when we come together to declare the works of God amongst ourselves. You see, this this worship, worship is a vertical thing. But let me let me back up before I get too far ahead, and just say this: Although worship is vertical, and it is worship, and and our relationship with Jesus is personal, worship is not supposed to be private. Let me give you some let me give you some extremes of that, and I'll get to that point in a minute. I, I feel led to go back here. On the one extreme, people say I don't involve myself in any way, shape, or form. Me and God, we talk when I'm by myself. And that's okay. I'm not saying you have to get weird and crazy and roll on the floor, certainly not. But worship is not meant to be merely a private thing. It's to be a corporate thing. So we come together and we worship together, linked one with the other. Amen. The other thing we've kind of gone to in the modern in the modern worship world that we live in today, it's where people kind of get Close themselves off to everybody else around them and they get lost in their own little world and worship be and and that's not that's not God's plan either. Worship is to be the corporate gathering of God's people. Many times in scripture you'll 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 read and you'll hear how they lifted up their voice together, how they prayed together, how they sang together, how they cried out to God together. And so worship is to be this corporate thing. But but when we come together, there's this that's a vertical, it's all of us. Pointed vertically, then there 's this this internal matter where we come together to declare the works of God. Look what Peter says in these verses in verses numbers nine and ten. He says, "You are a chosen race. He describes us in a very unique relationship. We are a chosen race he 's not talking about any race on earth. He is actually quoting um, Exodus chapter nineteen, I believe it is, where he said to moses i 'm going to create a holy race.' A kingdom of priests. And and then he comes to Peter and he says, he quotes all that about the Old Testament, how the stone became a stumbling block. The Jews had rejected Jesus. And he said, now everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of their nationality, they are a Jew. They are children of Abraham, so to speak. Everyone who put, regardless of your nationality, out of all nations, races, and people, God says, I am putting together a, a chosen race. What is this race made up of? It's made up of people of every race and tribe on earth who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We are children of God. And so, we, we, we're no longer segregated by, by those things, those physical realities. And how about, how, about, how about this? How about the Lord help us somehow to be able to, to unite together and realize that our greatest relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ is not our, our sports affinity or our political affinity, but our greatest connection to our brothers and sisters in Christ is that we have faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we're all sitting on the same cornerstone. We're part of that race. A royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests a holy nation, a people for his own possession. I mentioned that, a peculiar people. And listen to what he says. This is the purpose of that. He says in verse number 9, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As a matter of fact, that word proclaim is translated show forth, but it only appears one time in all the New Testament, and it's right here, and here's what it means. It means to tell on the outside what has taken place on the inside. And one of the purposes of us gathering, and this is why I say Sunday morning gatherings of God's people which have been going on since the early church. The first day of the week they gathered. I read this week, Justin Martyr wrote about 20 or 30 years after about hundred and twenty eight A.D., Justin Martyr wrote that he described the early church's meetings on Sunday. They were doing it in 120, 130, 140 A.D. We've been doing this for 2,000 years. And the primary purpose is we gather together to worship God. But then the other purpose is seen here is that we might show forth, we may tell on the outside what God has done on the inside. You want to know what makes the, helps the world, the unbelieving world, look at us and say, there's God there, is when they come into our midst and they hear us saying, hey, did you hear this? Man, I want to tell you something, Ronnie, God's been good to me this week. This morning we were, we were shaking hands and a lady came over to me and she said, oh, and this was long before my sermon, so she gave me a good illustration. She didn't even know it. She came over to me while we were shaking hands in the first service, and she said, both of my boys, I've got a miracle to report, both of my boys are free from addictions for the first time in years. She she herself is a new believer, but she was edifying the church by giving glory to God about the wonderful works he had done in her family's life in just the last few days. And we come to church sometimes. Now, I'm not Eastlake, but sometimes we come to church. I was a joke. <laughs> and we think we're just here to watch and observe. No, we're here to give praise to God, first of all, the horizontal deal. And we're, we're here to edify one another. It's worship and it's edification. That's the reason we've come this morning. I'm going to do something I don't ordinarily do. Has anybody have a 15-second testimony of how God has worked in your life this week and you just want to tell it right now I'm just going to give you the opportunity just raise your hand don't everybody do it at once anybody how God has worked we're here to to show forth the marvelous works of God how he's transferred us from darkness into the kingdom of light anybody have a testimony just say God did this for me this week anybody come on help me out don't leave me hanging this is why we're here yeah Praise God! Praise God, Ronnie.
1: Well, it, it's through Zach. It's, it wasn't directly to me, but it's my grandson, and he blessed me through my grandson. He he went back in to see the trauma doctor, um, and his his uh, <clears throat> physical healing is uh, on track. Praise God. Amen. And he has a spiritual group of college young people surrounding him in the very nature that you're talking about. Praise God. As a as a church and making sure that all his needs are taken care of and um, both physical and spiritual.
0: Praise God. And that's,
1: I mean that's been a blessing through this whole whole thing. And his Kelly Ka- Kelly is. In where Dave is yes. she was moved a week ahead of time and that hospital has just, has done marvelous things and I look forward to hearing the same kind of thing about Dave praise they God they have just they, they are specialists in the spine and they have just they got her up she's not walking because she still doesn't have she's still paralyzed from her waist down but but she is moving around and she's every time you see a picture which Garce sees quite frequently on the Bridge, she, has the, she has the spark, she has the glow of God in her face. And Praise God. Faith, her family has faith.
0: She will walk through. Amen. And we give God glory. His, his grandson was in a terrible accident a couple weeks ago with his girlfriend. And she's paralyzed from her waist down. But God is helping him heal and helping her heal. And you know what? This is the God we serve.
1: And if I may, this church is helping us.
0: Praise God we're caring for them praise God anybody here just raise your hand They don't have to say anything but anybody here if you had the courage and the time you could tell how God took you from a life of darkness into his marvelous light just raise your hand right now amen you want to know why you want to know why we're we're gathered together this morning we're gathered together to, to give worship to God and we're gathered together to edify one another by telling his great and mighty works in our life let me close with this thought I haven't paid a lick of attention to my notes, but it's all right. <laughs> we, will, we will be a vision of God to the world when we recognize our relationship and responsibility to the world. In verses 10 and 11, Peter closes this section by saying, here's the deal. He knew He knew the situation of the world. Nero was getting ready to unleash. Peter was was dealing with it himself. One even wrote that he said he was from Babylon as a code because he didn't want to tell the people that were sending this stuff through where he actually was. That's how serious the persecution was. But listen listen to how he describes their relationship and their responsibility to the world. In verse 11, Beloved, I like the way he addresses his fellow Christians, don't you? Beloved. He wasn't Shakespeare. He was a fisherman. And he said, To the ones I dearly love. I like, I like the way he said that. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. That's our relationship to the world. We are sojourners and exiles. We are not connected to this world. We're not destined for this world. We're not to be controlled by this world. And we are under attack from the sin in this world. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He said, I want to remind you of something. All those of you who are followers of Jesus, you don't belong to this world. You are citizens of the kingdom of God. So, what does that mean? We're arrogant, condescending, rude, obnoxious jerks that wear uh, cardboard placards. No, listen. He tells us what that means. He said, "Look out for the for the for the for the sensual temptations of the flesh, because they're out to get you." He's not talking about people. He's talking about, in this case, he's talking about the passions of the flesh. Those are warring against. As Christians, we're sojourners and exiles. We're not to allow the passions and the sensualities of this world to become the directors and the influences in our life. This is our relationship to them. And then he goes on to say, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. In other words, yeah, they're not, they may be hostile. Nero's coming to get you. But you behave like a Christian. You behave like a Christian. And he gives us our responsibilities. Our responsibilities to the world. We are to live a holy life in all our conduct with them. It's a terrible thing when those who do not go by the name of Christ say those who are going by the name of Christ are dishonest, are rude, are unkind, are ungodly. He said, this is how I want you to... Know this. You're a sojourner in exile. That's your relationship. Here's your responsibility. You're to, you're to make sure your conduct amongst those Gentiles, and Gentiles being a representation of all unbelievers, make sure your conduct among them is honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, which that's what they do. That's what the world does, by the way. Those who don't believe in Christ, we shouldn't be shocked. When we look at the TV and go, Oh my goodness. No, if they don't... The responsibility isn't on them to live like Christ. The responsibility is on us to live like Christ. Amen? We are to expect that there will be hostility. They will come after us. We're to live in such a way that our lives cause them to give God glory. That he says when they speak as evildoers, they will then see how you behave and say, Good night. There must be a God somewhere. Amen? So I, I, this was the source of this was unknown, but they wrote, what the first century world saw was the phenomena of people from all walks of life loving one another, serving one another, caring for one another, and praying for one another. Slaves and free were in the Christian community. Rich and poor were in the Christian community. Roman citizens and non-Roman citizens were in the community. Members of the establishment and those violently opposed to the establishment were a part of the Christian community. The intelligentsia and the illiterate were members of that community. To the utter amazement of the world outside, they were bound together in an unexplainable love and unity in Jesus Christ. And the world said, Oh my goodness! That must be God. That must be God. We are to pray for them. We are to pray for God to visit them and expect that many of them will come to Christ. Christ. Peter says that they may see your good deeds and they would glorify God on the day of visitation. That's a phrase that caught my attention when I'm reading scriptures and there's kind of random, interesting phrases. I always like to go, what's that mean? Well, I can be my own scholar because scholars are a little bit divided on what this actually means. Some believe it means that in the day that God returns. The prominent belief, and my, my, my sense is, Peter was saying, when the mercy and grace of God appears to them, they will glorify God because they've connected it that you're the one who was serving the God who is now showing them mercy and grace and they too will receive Christ. You know, there is going to be a day of visitation, right? There's a day of visitation coming at the end when God's mercy and grace, His mercy Will we'll at that moment cease, and all who receive mercy will receive mercy, but then there will be a day of judgment, and that's a day of visitation. But I believe what he's talking about here is listen, practical language. Christians, live your life in such a godly way, so that those who don't believe in your God, when the Holy Spirit and the grace of God shows up in their life, they're gonna go, aha, aha, that's that's what I want. That's what they were doing at East Lake. That's why they were happy on Sunday mornings and singing and waving their hands. I could never figure out why people would stand up and raise their hands in church. How embarrassing. But now I know because the grace visited me. Aren't you glad the grace of God has visited us? And you know what we need to do? Our relationship with our responsibility to the world is we're to pray that the grace of God will visit them. And when the grace of God visits them, they will connect it and they will receive God and they will be transformed. No pressure, but the world most likely will see God's glory or lack thereof in how we behave as a church. I get a lot of questions in the commute. We're in a tiny little town here, and we're building a building everywhere I go. Not a day goes by. Some has a building. I see your building. Boy, you got a building going on. Wow, what are you building? And that's all, that's all well and good. But you know what I really pray? I really pray that the reputation of Eastlake will not be a building, but that it'll be that, man, you want to see the power of God, you ought to go there on Sunday morning. You ought to see how those people live. Do business with those folks from Eastlake. Those people are honest, they're pure, they're trustworthy, they're dependable, they're godly, their conduct amongst us Gentiles is good. That's the reputation. And when that happens, when the world sees that, they'll see God. So Jesus, this is us this morning as we close this service with a hunger and a desire, oh God, oh God, to be a church that doesn't bring reproach to your name, but be a church that brings glory to your name. Oh Lord, we need you this morning. And we depend upon you. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus right now. Lord, that you would you would just minister to our hearts. Lord, I pray for those who, who are here even in this moment. Who, who maybe they have not tasted to see that the Lord is good. But Lord, this could be the day that they could taste you for themselves. And so Lord, I pray for them. I pray that if there are broken relationships. I pray that if there are broken relationships amongst churches in our community. That you will heal that. Because that's important, oh God, that churches are united because we're not in competition with one another. We're competition with the works of darkness. And I pray that you would heal us and use us so that when the world sees the church, they see you. We pray this in Jesus' name. I invite you to stand. We're going to sing. I want to, I want to just, do, we're just going to do some, go ahead and stand together. When we're done this morning with this service, I want our prayer team who are here, they're going to be in this hall. I want, I want them to be over there. Bob, can you help me make sure that we have our prayer team over here? If you're here this morning and you need prayer and you want to pray with someone or you prayed a moment, would you just come out and talk to us and we want to pray with you, all right? For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at EastlakeSML